welcome to Youth Radio on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Michael Harley. And I eat rice. Oh yeah, and my name's Tracy Tram. Well, we've got enough pieces tonight to fill up a bowl of rice, Tracy. Yes, we do, Michael. Jaren has kindly done a commentary. Is it about rice? No, Michael. Too much rice is not a good thing. The piece is about the, the Sony PlayStation 3, duh. Oh, look what we've got here. It's an interview done by Diana. We've also got a piece from Taos Cultural Energy. So stay tuned for all the rice-filled fun. Michael, you probably don't even eat rice. Just play us some music. Oh, all right, listeners. No more rice, then. I've got some music lined up for you this evening. Yep, that's right. I'm working double time this week. After so much work, you can probably figure that I'm a bit tired at the moment. So all I ask is that everybody simply be gentle with me. Oddly enough, that's our first song this evening. I first heard this song on the MySpace of my best friend, Rachel. When I saw the group was called The Boy Least Likely To, I was sure that the media player had cut off their full name. However, when I looked up their lyrics on Google, this was their exact title. They're described as an independent rock group. And here they are with Be Gentle With Me from their album of the same name. Staring up into the solar system That was Be Gentle With Me, sung by The Boy Least Likely To. To find out more about the group, visit their website at www.theboyleastlikelyto.co.uk. Yes, the name is spelled all as one word in the address. Stay tuned for more music later on in the show. Now it's over to Tracy with another segment. And now, Jaren has a commentary for us about the bad side of the Sony PlayStation 3. I was going to use my commentary tonight to tell you another story from my sick and twisted normal life, but instead, I felt like sharing my opinions on a problem that has been spinning out of control. The problem is called Sony. From the very first PlayStation all the way to the PlayStation Portable, Sony has had ups and downs, but maintained a large number of people, including me, as fans of the company's video game work. But now, it looks like Sony has, Sony has finally shot itself in the foot. A few months ago, I reported on the legal ecstasy of a video game convention called E3, where more details of the next-generation PlayStation 3 were unveiled. Those details also included the price of this next-gen beauty, which turned it into a beast in a matter of a few minutes. Those numbers that turned it into a beast are 6-0-0. As the rest of the world maintained <clears throat> and moaned in agonizing pain, Sony started counting the cash and feeding gamers everywhere a spoonful of crap that the price is all fair because you, as consumers, will not just be paying for another gaming console, but it is a new breed of computer. And better yet, you are paying for potential. Mmm, in my opinion, for Sony, that was the first nail in the cross. But gamers everywhere ate it up as they started as they stared at the shiny looking heap of next gen failure. Again, my opinion. Now, if you think that the price and Sony's empty promises of potential were the worst that could happen to the PlayStation 3, you are so wrong. In the months after E3, 
More rumors started trickling out of Japan where the PS3 has been in development for a long time now. First was the news that Sony will not have rumble technology in the PS3 controller because it conflicts with the motion sensitivity in the new controller. The truth is that due to a copyright error, Sony lost the right to include the same technology as in their previous console controllers. And also, the new motion sensitivity was a last-minute addition after seeing what Nintendo's next-generation console, the Wii, could do with its motion sensitivity. Next was a statement released by Sony complaining that Microsoft is copying everything and anything that Sony is doing with the PlayStation 3 and putting it to use in the Xbox 360, which was released last year. The truth Sony need a scapegoat for all the problems in the last few months of development. Ouch. Looks like another nail for Sony. Now, after a few quiet weeks, and when I thought the storm was settling down, two news stories emerged showing that maybe gamers' next-gen faith might shift to Microsoft and Nintendo. The least interesting, but still relevant, was the news that Sony may not have enough Blu-ray DVD drives for initial release of the PS3. How many PS3s are going to be released? Well, worldwide, it looks like 2 million. Yes, I did say 2 million, and worldwide in the same sentence. But the lack of Blu-ray drives may push back the re release a little bit. Now, I know a few of you may be asking what is Blu-ray. In a short explanation, it's DVD, but cleaner picture, better sound, and more space than regular DVD. Its opponent, HD DVD, was included in the Xbox 360, as an external drive. Same advantages of Blu-ray. Now, if a pushback release date was all that you were worried about, oh, have I got news for you. Recently, a Los Angeles reporter dug up a patent on specific technology that Sony was planning on using in the PS2, but got left out in the last few months of development. The technology? Well, if you like being able to trade in, sell, buy, or at least rent video games, Say goodbye to that luxury. This hazy new technology will not allow used, borrowed, or rented games to play in the console. The patent goes back to 2001 when the PS2 was in development, but Sony couldn't get it to work properly, so they left it out and kept it in development for later use. Well kids, looks like they dug it up. The question is, are you willing to pay $600 plus for potential? I'm not. Which leaves me to my closing statement. Sony has become unoriginal with the PS3, leaving out next-gen innovation as seen in Nintendo's Wii, and blamed its problems on a company who has already released its next-gen baby and seen somewhat good of success. My advice is, if you want graphics and good games, go for the Xbox 360. If you want innovation, go for the Nintendo Wii. And if you absolutely have to play Metal Gear Solid like I do, make friends with the idiot who bought the PS3. I hate to say it, kids, but this looks like the death of Sony and the PS3. For KUNM Youth Radio, I'm Jaron Kai. And that was Jaron Kai with the commentary about the downsides of the PlayStation 3. Please don't send all your hate. Please don't send all your hate mail at once. And now back to Michael with more music. <laughs> $600, that's pocket money. No, I'm really just kidding. Jaren's great commentary on video games got me inspired to insert this next song, which was used in one of the most popular video games to date, which is for the PlayStation 2. The Kingdom Hearts series, created by Square Enix, has become a world phenomenon. Nobody expected this. 
as the game took popular Final Fantasy characters and mixed them up with famous Disney icons, creating what people were sure was a worthless symbol of both companies' greed. However, audiences found themselves unusually pleased to find Goofy and Donald standing next to characters like Final Fantasy's Cloud and Sep Sephiroth, as well as other Disney characters like Belle and Jack Sparrow. The theme song for Kingdom Hearts 2 was specifically written for the game's introduction by Yutada Hikaru, famous Japanese pop artist who sang the song both with English and Japanese lyrics. Here is the English version of the song Sanctuary from the American edition of Kingdom Hearts 2. <laughs> That was Yutara Hikaru with the song Sanctuary, which will be found on the Kingdom Hearts 2 soundtrack set to reach America in the near future. The song's Japanese counterpart, Passion, can be found on the Japanese edition of the soundtrack, which is now available. The next song is one you'll clearly recognize if you've gone to the movies lately. Despite that it did not exactly meet audience expectations, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, provided some swashbuckling fun with the return of Jack, Elizabeth, and Will, as well as the addition of the frighteningly fantastic villain Davy Jones. Here's the original theme used in both movies and composed by Klaus Badelt. Oh, that Jack Sparrow. He's a pirate. Then one day, a tune pops into my head. I jot down some dummy words. Nick and I do a quick head arrangement. Then we call the studio and sing it to crew. And the whole world exploded. just heard Sherry from the Broadway hit Jersey Boys, sung by the four main cast members. The show chronicles the turbulent rise to fame for Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, a popular harmonization group that got their start with the success of this song in 1962. The show itself, which is composed of the group's best hits, met amazing reception on Broadway and recently won four Tony Awards, including Best Musical. The song is available on the Jersey Boys soundtrack. Before Sherry, you heard... He's a Pirate from the Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl soundtrack, and Sanctuary from the Kingdom Hearts 2 soundtrack. And thanks to Mars for calling us. Really, we love you, and we know your name is not Lars. And now, it's back to the show. That would be me. Youth Radio's Diana Barron-Moore asks her friend Sylvia Alvarez to share some of her stories of life in Brooklyn in this next piece. seen terrible hardship, but continues to live with a sense of adventure and optimism. 
I recently spoke with her and asked her if she would share some of her stories. The first one concerns her rather infamous wedding. I got married at the age of 34, and uh, my husband is a, a bit eccentric, shall we say? And I met him in the supermarket. It was called the Grand Union when I had just moved to the neighborhood. And it's inward. It's like the tip end of Manhattan. Okay, you could still say you're in Manhattan, but you're really 20 blocks away from the Bronx. It was right across the street from the Cloisters. And uh, I had moved to the neighborhood because I had worked in the neighborhood. And uh, went to this uh, supermarket called the Grand Union. And I saw this tall, thin, strange-looking guy with like a kind of like a, a Indian jacket, which is outdated now or is back now. And I was kind of interested because he was kind of a tall, Anglo, thin guy with an Indian jacket. And when I looked at him, at his face, he had like this intense kind of eyes, and he was squeezing the charm, and, and then he went to weigh it, weigh toilet paper. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And he... When I looked at his face, he had an orange screw holding the side of the glasses together. And I thought, wow, this is different here. And so he was talking to me, and I was talking to him, and I thought, well, we're going to keep it at this level. Just, you know, friendly supermarket conversation. And I went to pay, and I noticed he was behind me on the line, and I said, oh my God, what did I do? I said, it's my first day here, I'm going to be in the headline. Of the New York Post, if you know the Post, they have good headlines. And so I went home, and this young man, or whoever he was, I felt was following me. So I ran home, and uh, and I thought at least I won't be, uh, you know, in the newspaper my first day, you know, out of the, you know, moving out here. And went to my apartment, and then I would run into him in the neighborhood. And he was helping this elderly lady that was in my building, was uh, 72 families in the building, who looked like, uh, she was in her 80s, and she looked like a flapper, you know. She still had the white powder and the thin eyebrows and, the, you know, the short hair, the bob haircut. I guess it was a time that she was successful in her life in the 20s. But she had so much stuff that she couldn't close the door, and our landlord was going to, Victor, my landlord. And this young man was helping her. I thought that was kind of nice that he took that challenge because she was not an easy neighbor. So I'd run into him in the neighborhood. So anyway, I end up marrying my husband, uh, met, who I met in Inwood. And of course, he didn't want a traditional wedding. First, he wanted to elope. And I thought, nah, I've never been married. I'm 34. I really want a wedding. And my husband is like an all-or-none guy. It's either like a very, very small wedding or a very, very large wedding. There's nothing in between. So we, we had a two-day wedding. We, had, uh, we got uh, to be members of a museum, which I never was before. We researched this, and uh, we were members of the Henry Hudson Museum in Yonkers. It was a tax deduction. Uh, they let him do some of the cooking. We had a caterer. And I did my flowers, because I have a sister that's kind of, she's an artist, and we went to the flower district at 4 in the morning the night before your wedding. What else do you do? And my husband was cooking the pesto, because he wouldn't go with just any caterer. He had to cook some part of the wedding dinner, you know. And so we had that, and we were, and it was Henry Hudson Museum the first day, and then the second day we were in, it was White Castle, New Jersey, a hot air balloon.
we also did our own invitations with Go Leaf and Silkscreen. We did that on 34th Street between 7th and 8th Avenue, and we did we put cornstarch in the paint because someone said to thicken it, and we end up with a baked purple paint. So we had to start all over, so that was something, you know, with handmade paper, so that was, my invi my invitations were beautiful, but they took a lot of work, and they were not in the best side of town on 34th Street and 7th and 8th. You get out in the middle of the night, and you kind of see the hookers out there, you know. Uh, so anyway, going back to the wedding, I have 132 relatives in Puerto Rico between two towns, because both of my parents are Puerto Rican, and... Uh, Surprise, surprise, the day of the wedding, I had uh, 13 family members surprise me. And this was per plate, and they showed up, and we had rented a bus, which some of our friends put decorations. One of them put a decoration, another one bites the dust, which I did not appreciate, on the bus, a big sign. Uh, and my mother, who was a very proud woman, wanted me to get out of my apartment in Brooklyn because all my three other sisters did that. And so at 34, I got out of my apartment, my white dress and a limousine that she wanted me to rent because she wanted to sit in a limousine. And the bus was in front of us that we rented and uh, we went in the limousine. I would have preferred to have been on the bus because it was a lot more fun. Uh, and these 13 family members who, surprise, surprise, showed up the day of the wedding came with their long dresses, the little chubby ladies. And we had to make stops on the five boroughs in uh, Manhattan because we had friends all over. And we didn't want them to drink and drive and things like that. So uh, we stopped at the village because I had a friend who I worked with who was a physician and he worked, you know, lived there and he didn't come. He came later on to the wedding. But unfortunately, the bus stopped in front of a sock shop, a grand opening sock shop sale. And do you know, these women and people on the bus got out like they never saw a sock shop and went to buy socks on my wedding. And when I'm being, I have, you know, this limousine is per hour being timed and I have to get to this Henry Hudson Museum, which is in Yonkers, a little distance. And I was really mad. I was screaming in the limousine and my husband of like maybe... Well, not, not yet my husband yet, because we still didn't do our vows. My fiancé at the age of 34 got out of the car and almost got hit by a cab two inches away from me. He stopped it with his hands. And he was going to have fun on the bus in the sock shop. He thought it was hilarious. But then he came back to the limousine, and I socked him one on the day of our wedding. Uh, and uh, that, I will never forget, the sock shop. Well, like I said, I grew up in Brooklyn, and in Brooklyn, uh, there were people that worked in the factory, and there were people that were on welfare, and there were people that were drugs on drugs a lot. And the one thing that I learned about that, even though the factory workers made as much money as the welfare workers, welfare people, <laughs> people on welfare, is that the people whose parents worked got out of the neighborhood. The people that were on welfare, if you go back to the neighborhood, their grandchildren are. 
And so that's one thing I did see. And I did see the family that did bring the drugs into the neighborhood. And unfortunately, we did see some people die in the neighborhood from a drug overdose. And I thought he was kind of stuck there. But anyway, so I used to uh, write some poetry to kind of keep going and read. And like I said, my mother was bipolar, so there were moments she wasn't there and there were neighbors that kind of took care of poor girls. So this was something I wrote once because I used to see my mom on the wrong meds. I had to say she was bipolar and always diagnosed her with depression and wrong medication. So it was uh, it's called Sweet Tooth. Mama would always keep her quiet with a box of Cracker Jacks. The sticky caramel popcorn candy with some roasted nuts that stuck to her fingers got you licked. But what she really liked was the little gifts inside. She would put the jigsaw puzzle together with her little fingers, but she could not show mommy. Then there was good and plenty, the pink and black and white candy that looked like pills, but were really black licorice inside that stuck to her teeth. And she would sing, good and plenty, good and plenty, washed down with Coca-Cola. It was a treat, because things were not always sweet. The popcorn goes crack, crack. Things go better with Coke. Trick or treat, good and plenty, good and plenty, a little powder for your nose. Not in front of the mirror. She's in the toilet booth, and her nose is not shining. But there is no teeth for her candy to get stuck in. But she still licks her fingers. There's no puzzle to put together. Well, uh, I just want to talk about my mom a little bit. Like I said, she had a third grade education. She had bad feet. Didn't know why she had bad feet until later on. That she had shoes, her first pair of shoes at 17 in Puerto Rico. Pulled out of school, worked in a farm without shoes. And it was kind of mountainous. It wasn't no flat farm. So she came to... Uh, to Manhattan to live with her sister because she was 25 already and she didn't find a husband yet. There was someone that did like her and he was a baker of the town but unfortunately he was illegitimate and that was kind of you know pretty significant at that time and so every time he'd come to visit my mom my grandfather had his rifle out you know and so that stopped that romance <laughs> and so my mom went to uh, Manhattan and I had an aunt that kind of used to cook in the, in the apartment for the factory workers, you know, because there weren't any restaurants, Puerto Rican restaurants, for the men that worked in the factory. So my mom was living there, and she met my dad. And um, my mom was a personality, if you met her. Uh, she was very driven. Should we say driven? And uh, I have four sisters and my older sister is only like 13 months apart from me and then I have another sister and we're all very different we all have different occupations different politics we came from the same household I don't know how like I said my mom was very ambitious she would work in the factory and walk 30 blocks and back just to save money and she wanted us all to go to college she actually uh, when we were born she saved our uh, umbilical cord and put it in books and said she wanted us to all study and go to college because she didn't have that opportunity and the good part about it is that all my sisters did go to college and some got full scholarships uh, um, my mom unfortunately also had something called bipolar which I didn't know at the time I just kind of lived with it I'm a social worker, and if you ever talk to social workers, we have something in our background that makes us go into social work. 
Uh, and uh, my mom was always kind of diagnosed uh, depressed. But there were times when she would clean two or three in the morning. And I would sit there and wonder, like, God, I'll never have time to clean. Never. But like I said, she was very ambitious. She was very poetic. And she could rhyme in a minute's notice. And, of course, she had rhymes of who we were going to marry. And she would say, doctor, doctor, which is a doctor, which she wanted us to marry a doctor. Doctor, doctor, tengo un dolor, tengo un dolor, tengo un dolor. And she had, like, a whole rhyme of how a doctor can help you. And then she used to have the rhyme of a lawyer. We were going to marry a lawyer, and it was abogado, abogado. Dame, dime las leyes de tu corazón. And she, I don't remember the total poem, but she could put a poem like that, and it was really funny. We were kind of indoctrinated early. So, and uh, like I said, she had a personality that people loved her and uh, helped us out during the bad times. So that was the good thing about it. We have wonderful neighbors. And uh, sometimes when she was in her manic phase in the factory, they would tell her to slow down, you know, because she'd speed through things. And it was a, and we didn't know what she had, I have to say, you know. Uh, we, we'd pray she'd get well, and she'd get well, and then she didn't get well, you know, and like that. And, uh, but we lived with it, and we, like I said, we had wonderful neighbors that kind of picked up the pieces for us. Sylvia Alvarez now lives in Albuquerque with her husband and daughter. Her friends and family still requested her her stories. We all gather inspiration and perspective from them. I would like to finish with a favorite song of Sylvia's by Celia Cruz. This is La Vida es un Carnaval, or Life is a Carnival. For KUNM Youth Radio, I'm Diana Bradmore. to Diana Barron Moore for conducting the interview and Sylvia Alvarez for sharing such interesting stories. And I would like to say hi to Jimmy Lee. Thanks for listening, cousin. You should eat more rice. By the way, I'm not music host. Michael is. And now I'll throw it to him for more music. Okay, throw it, Tracy. Catch, Michael. Oh, here I go, here I go, here I go. Oh. He got it. Oh, I got it. Oh, that was cool. Okay, I'm just going to put that aside for now. All right. Well, since Sylvia was kind enough to share those stories with us, I figured I'd share this song with you listeners. The next tune comes from the CD Lady and the Tramp and Friends, a cheap disc with the best songs from the classic Disney film, as well as additional songs that aren't remotely related to spaghetti and meatballs. The creators were not even kind enough to put down who actually performed this song, which is not part of the Disney canon. Hero of the Story describes the perspective of the hero of any story, fiction or fact, with the hope that... that the listener will see that there is potential to be a hero in all of us. Every day he looks into the mirror And sees the lines that tell him time has passed Wonders if he's gay
That was Hero of the Story from an unknown singer on the Lady and the Tramp and Friends CD that came out alongside the DVD recently. And now it's back to my lovely co-host, Miss Tracy Tram. Why, thank you very much, Michael. Harley. Derek Siemens from Cultural Energy interviewed Lieutenant Governor Diane Dennis about how the state plans to provide job opportunities for the youth. This is Derek Stevens reporting. Recently, I spoke with New Mexico Lieutenant Governor Diane Dennis about the Youth Advisory Council and creating jobs for the youth. The Youth Advisory Council is something that we uh, was born out of our children's cabinet. It's uh, young people from around New Mexico, ages 14 to 19, who come together to talk to the cabinet members, the governor, me, uh, about what really impacts youth in New Mexico. Uh, they've brought us some very good ideas about uh, the expansion of school-based health centers, uh, what really works for gang prevention, uh, how youth need to be involved in arts and culture in New Mexico. Uh, and, and it's a two-year uh, membership, if you will. Every young person on the Alliance has to have a, an adult mentor, and both of them get interviewed before selection is made. So it's, uh, it's very uh, adult youth oriented in that we ask uh, to have adult mentors involved in the program, but there's lots of opportunities for young people to connect with uh, people who have influence on policy. How does the advisory council play a role in making laws well, just sitting down with the governor is not something that every young person gets to do every day. And our governor loves young people, as do I. And um, they, when they come together, they've met in various locations around the state, including the state capitol, Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico Tech in Socorro, in Glorieta. So they come together and they actually brainstorm their ideas. And then when they get back together with the cabinet secretaries, they have very concrete suggestions and ideas. Um, and believe it or not, we haven't thought of them uh, in, in government because sometimes we get in a box. The real important thing, I think, is that our administration is, uh, believes that not only are young people part of the solutions to some of our problems, but they're also, uh, they, they have a voice and they, that we need to hear it. And that's a really critical thing with policymakers. What have they recently accomplished? There, was, there have been some suggestions on gang prevention initiatives that we don't just put kids in jail or lock them up, but that we use some of the state facilities, um, such as the museums or artistic venues, for kids to come together and, and to uh, participate in artistic endeavors to express their uh, feelings rather than joining up with gangs. And as a result of that, $100,000 was put into the Cultural Affairs Department specifically for that effort to utilize, to create that effort around the state. So has this opened up any career opportunities for the youth? While I don't know that it's open career opportunities, I think it has given them a view of state government and how policy's made that it wouldn't surprise me to see some of these young people show up in state government at some point in time. After they're done with this, what kind of jobs would they have in the government? Well, there, you know, there's opportunities for young people after they graduate in high school. But I would like to say this. We really encourage young people to further their education because in government you can work in the environmental area, you can work in health, 
you can work in education, you can work in transportation, you can work in now in New Mexico we have film opportunities through state government, you can work in the financial arena. Once kids, young people have a view of it uh, and they can further their education, they might have an opportunity or they might be that next applicant for a state job. How is it possible to keep more youth in New Mexico and from going to other college states and keep them here so they can further their education? Well, I, th I think that what's possible is to create better jobs in New Mexico. Most of the time, the reason that we lose young people in New Mexico is that uh, they get a better paying job somewhere else. We educate them here because we have a fabulous lottery scholarship program. Uh, they go to school here, but many times they're offered jobs that pay better salaries in other places. So our job as policymakers is to implement policies that create higher paying jobs uh, so that young people aren't, as they say, flipping burgers for their You just heard Derek Siemens from Cultural Energy interviewed Diane Dennis about how the state will give teens like us better job opportunities. For more information on the Youth Advisory Council and other youth-related programs in the state, visit our website at www.kunm.org slash youthradio. And now, it's time for Calendar. Hey, y'all, what's good for y'all? I don't know, I'm one of your calendar hosts for tonight, Jaren Kai, and now you know. And I'm your other calendar host, Shatane Tuck. And now that y'all know, y'all better recognize. But anyways, y'all, we got some banging events for y'all this week, from poetry to music. From walks to shaking with your mama. And old daddy gave you, here we go. Listen and learn from the pros, because we, we on a row. Mass Poetry at Winnings Coffee House, Harvard 111 Southeast. Every third Wednesday each month, sign up at 7 p.m. Open mic, all ages slam. Slam host Ken Rodriguez. For more information, hit up 505-767-9941. Or for y'all email lovers, masspoetry at yahoo.com. Jazz at the Albuquerque Museum, 2000 Mountain Road Northwest in the Museum District in Old Town. A great music series and a wonderful atmosphere. Jazz Under the Stars at the Albuquerque Museum is still going on. It's not too late to show up and hear the New Mexico Jazz Workshop represents presents jazz under the stars and salsa under the stars in the museum amphitheater doors open at 6 30 p.m concert runs from 7 to 10 p.m all shows occur rain or shine the cooperage restaurant provides food and full bar service for your tummy jazz under the stars saturday july 22nd chris duchamp tommy elska's duo and the memphis p tales saturday july 29th women's voices featuring chris calloway linda cotton hillary smith Patty Stevens, and Judy Christopher. Salsa Under the Stars, Friday, July 21st, Calais 66. Friday, July 28th, Son Como Son. Friday, August 4th, Conge del Val. Again, the address is 2000 Mountain Road Northwest in the Museum District in Old Town. Enjoy free movies on the park and recreations. Six, 18 feet high by 20 foot feet wide portable screen. Pack a picnic, the family, and friends, and come relax and enjoy the show. Movie set starts at sunset. Free movies night, dreamers. This Saturday, the 22nd of July, at 8 p.m. 
Are you wondering, well, well, the location is Cesar Chavez Community Center, and the address is 7505 Catherine Southeast, Louisiana in Catherine. For more information, please call 311 in Albuquerque. This is an alcoholic-free event. These are your Monday, July 17, 2006 events. Kittens need help. Volunteers needed to foster and bottle feed kittens. Contact Anna at the city shelter at 764-1137 or via email at amsanchez at um, cabq.gov. Astrological mediation services, workshops, and classes. Learn the spiritual lessons written in the starry script of the heaven at Church of Light. 2119 Gold Southeast. Call for more info. 247-1338. Professional Actors Workshop. Weekly classes at Studio Spoli. For more information, call Tom at 873-4831. Blue Dragon Coffee House, Monday Night Live, hosted by Trout. Variety from 8 to 10 p.m. Free and all ages event. Swing your partner, Dosi Do is not the same thing as swing dance. Or is it? Anyways, swing dance, all ages event at Celia Studios. 7120 Wyoming Northeast Suite 17 from 7 through 11 p.m. And again, those were your Monday events. By the way, Nay, they ain't the same. Now, here's your Tuesday, July 18, 2006 events. Morning Bird Walks, a one to two hour hike starting at 8 a.m. From, Sa- from the Sandia Ranger Station in Tierras. Call 281-3304 for more information. For all y'all music lovers, lunch pad, spiritual field, cute is what we aim for. Lindy Ivory, 7 p.m. all ages. Tribal belly dance classes, a beginning class from noon to 1 p.m. and an intermediate class from 1 to 2 p.m. at Reflecting the Moon, 139 Harvard Southeast. For more information, call 315-4496 or visit the website at www.reflectingthemoon.com. That is all one piece. Wednesday events. Ecstatic Dance, Albuquerque. Experience free form movement to world beat musical in a safe and non-judgmental space at Endorphin Power Cove. 509 Cardenas Southeast at 7.30 p.m. For more information, call 720-8799 or 275-5749. Blue Dragon Coffee House, open mic night, 6.45 through 10 p.m., free all ages. Launchpad, Buzzcocks, The Strays, and The Sharpies. I'm Jaren Kai. <laughs> and I'm Shatsunade Tuck. And this has been your calendar. And we out, yo. That looks like the end of our show. Here's all the people who took part in this week's production. Our cynical yet cheerful producer was Kyle Ferris. Our ordinarily fabulous Diana Baron Moore was engineered this evening. Our inspiringly eventful calendar was done by Jaren Kai and Shatane Tuck. Diana Baron Moore and Jaren Kai provided oddly insightful commentaries and interviews for us to mull over. Thanks to Derek Siemens for the interview with Diane Dennish. I'm your host, Tracy Trum. And I'm your additional host and music host, Michael Harley. Eat rice! Others in the Youth Radio Collective are Philip Riley of Equilucky, Paula Castillo, Mina Lee, and Marsh Chalon. They probably eat rice. Our proactive adult co-conspirators were Krista Pino and Mercedes Mejia. I think they eat rice, too. So remember, eat rice!
Uh, oh, yeah. And tune in next week for another episode of Youth Radio here on 89.9 KUNM. Next up is spoken rice. Uh, I mean, spoken word. Michael, rice don't talk. Does it talk? <laughs> 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 y'all ready? We gonna get it. If I'm going to the dance party without my dancing shoes and everything.